Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, the podcast for those looking to be better leaders for themselves, their families, and in their communities. I am your host, Cliff Duvenois. Join me as I interview business leaders, thought leaders in our communities to hear their stories and get their advice. Now, today's guest is someone very special to our Michigan community. She generously donated time from her busy schedule to talk to us, and I'm anxious to share her story with you. So with that being said, let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast. Today, I have the honor and the privilege of interviewing somebody who really doesn't need an introduction. When I was telling people that I was going to interview her, everybody knew instantly who she was. She's kind of like everybody's grandmother. Today, I am honored to welcome to the show Dorothy Zender from the Bavarian Inn Zender family. How are you, Dorothy? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. So what I would like to do is, because you have seen and experienced a lot. So what I would like to do is take a little bit of track, uh, go back in time and kind of ask you some questions about some really key pivotal moments in your family and the community's history. So the first question that I would like to ask is the Fisher Hotel existed and you worked there. I did. I did. And then in 1950, Tiny and yourself decided to buy the Fisher Hotel. We did. Now, the restaurant business is tough. What made you and Tiny think that you could be successful at running a restaurant? Well, we had a background of restauranteurs. We were, uh, I was a waitress here at Fisher's. I worked for uh, the Liddy Fisher family. And then when uh, their son was of age to take over, then I worked for Elmer Fisher and his wife, Marcella. So I worked for them, and I always liked the restaurant business. So when uh, the restaurant was, um, I'll have to go back a little why we did actually buy this. In uh, 49, we had a bad snowstorm, and the Fisher family had on their menu as did the Zender family across the street, had the same thing on their menu. They had duck, chicken, goose, and turkey. And the bad snowstorm came overnight, blocked all the the roads. Nobody could get into Frankenmuth. Well, we had all that food here, and what are you going to do with it? Nobody came to town for Thanksgiving. So Elmer Fisher decided... He did not really like the restaurant business that well, but he took it over from his family because they were of age to get get out of it. And then he said, well, this is it. He's going to try and sell the place. So my husband collected garbage. Uh, he had a garbage route, and he collected garbage here at Fisher's, at Zender's, and also at the Henry Fisher Hotel, which was up the block here just a minute. And then, um, so Elmer Fisher said to my husband when he was here one morning, 
are you folks interested in buying this place? I'm ready to sell. And, of course, that was a shock to my husband because Fishers were more, uh, well, Zender started meagerly. And Fishers were already established when Zender started their restaurant across the street. So it was a shock to the Zender family. So this went on for about six months, and the Zenders didn't want to buy it. Well, they didn't have no money. Okay. And Mr. Fisher wanted cash. He did not want a loan or anything to do with it. He said, when I'm out of it, I'm out of it. Right. I don't want no part of it. So this went on for about six months, you know, kind of going back and forth, and uh, the Zender family didn't think they could buy it because, like I said, there was no money. So then one day, uh, Elmer Fisher again approached Tiny, and he said, uh, you people, if you don't want to buy it, you have to tell me. I'm going to put it on the market. Well, then the Zender family got a little nervous about that because they were just starting, and if he would put this on the market, somebody would come in, buy it, and then uh, ruin the chicken dinner business. So they started to kind of look around to get some money, and, of course, uh, the restaurant business is not... uh, uh, People don't like to loan you money because you can, you can make it or you can break it. Right. So then, uh, well, we, they couldn't get the money for this, and they couldn't get enough money, and he didn't want a down payment. He said, when I'm out of here, I'm out of here. So they all thought, well, if everybody would put in empty their piggy banks— Maybe we can get enough money together. And there were six boys or five boys, I forgot. Uh, Let's see, six boys and two girls. And the father was still living. Right. The mother had passed away. And so everybody had a chip in so they could borrow then enough money to pay for it. And so... um, First, when I said to my husband, let's buy it, and he said, buy it? We haven't got no money. How are we going to buy this place? Well, I loved the restaurant business. Sure. And uh, he uh, he wanted to buy it, but he did not want to buy it. He was a farmer. He he worked on the farm. Right. Mm -hmm. And he loved farming. I did not like farming, so I did. I wanted to kind of go in the restaurant business sure. again. Sure. And so it went on for about six months before they finally had enough money to uh, borrow and then to... Uh, Sign the paperwork and do the transfer paperwork. it over to yes. your family. Yes. Uh-huh. Excellent. Yes. So in 1950, then, you, you finished buying the Fisher Hotel. We did. And you ran it for a number of years. We did. Now... The economy and everything's very cyclic, and I know that 1956 and 1957 were a little bit rough. They were. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to go through those tough times. Well, I felt kind of bad because I was instrumental in buying it. But I had no money. I mean, I was well, we were just... I think we were married a couple of years. No, we already had children. 
So I did feel bad. And at one time, it was, we thought we'd have to close up Fishers. We wouldn't close Zanders. That was the mother, uh, the mother business. Mm-hmm. So, well, so my husband said, well, I guess I'll have to go back to farming. And I did not like to hear that news because, I, like I said, I didn't care for farming. So we struggled, and we couldn't, um, uh, we couldn't do any improvements because with the money we borrowed, they wouldn't allow us to do any improvements for so many, I guess it was 10 years. Wow. And um, so it was rough. There were many sleepless nights that um, I thought, this is it. So we couldn't hire much help. Because, like I said, there was no money. Yep. So we worked very long hours, and we worked hard. Those uh, years were hard, but in the end, it did pay off. We did. Uh, we did finally after we were uh, after that those two years, and I, I still, when I think back, that we took the chance in '58 to put on a new edition, then we could borrow money, and to put on a new edition and call it Bavaria. And, you know, if somebody would ask me today, would you do it again? I think I would say no. because. But, you know, you were young. I was 30, and my husband was 32, and we were kind of eager and he took the chance. He took a chance. So with him taking the chance, I guess I was the helper, and we made it through those rough years. Because I know that risk is a big part of being an entrepreneur because you, you are really betting on a better future. You are. You are. So it, and it just wasn't the fact that you guys, your, your family decided to expand the restaurant, you guys went with a Bavarian theme, which means you had to renovate the exterior oh, yes, and the interior. Yes. What what was what was that conversation like? What made, what was the the press with to say, you know what, let's just redo this whole thing in Bavaria style? Uh, his family, we were one corporation. Okay. When we bought it, we were one corporation. Uh, the family was not enthused about putting on this addition. And there were five brothers and two sisters. And he said, Tiny was one of the the brothers, and he said, we'll work hard. We'll make it do. We'll make it go. And, of course, we did. And then, of course, he had to meet with uh, architects and uh, get someone to build this place. He met right in one of the restaurant magazines. There was a German architect. And he contacted him. He was out of Chicago. And he contacted him and, you know, gave him the spiel about the building and everything else. And he said, at that time, we were not thinking of changing the decor or changing it. And he said, this architect said, I will design a building for you, but I will only design it in Bavarian style. Well, that was a shock because... We didn't know anything, we, you know, about Bavaria. We, sure, our forefathers came from Germany, but 
that was kind of the extent of it. So uh, he contacted him, and uh, the family went to Chicago to interview this um, uh, this architect. And uh, well, they thought, well, give it a chance. So we did, and that was then the beginning of a uh, of this. Uh, Bavarianized, and it, it was always so surprising. This architect never came to Frankenmuth, never to even check check out what he did. And it was beautiful; it was a beautiful building, but he never came to see it. Wow, that's interesting. Yes, that that always shocked us. That he never, you know, when you do some, when I make a dinner and the dinner is good and it looks good, then. I'm proud of that, and I want people to enjoy it. And you would have thought that he really wanted to see this building. Sure. Never came. Hmm. Interesting. And he died then after his death. By, uh, we had just lost track of him. Oh, that's a real shame. So when you got the restaurant, you were dividing up responsibilities. Yes. And from what I read online, Tiny asked you if you wanted the back of the house or the front of the house. And you said the back, well, the kitchen. It, it was, it was uh, I did work the front of the house, and then on weekends, I would work the, uh, weekends I worked the front of the house, weekends I would work the back of the house. Okay. And then <laughs> uh, he didn't like the idea that people would ask him questions about food, and he didn't know how to make it, or he didn't know what was in it. So finally he said, you know, we have to make a different arrangement. You either, what would you like? The front of the house? Would you like the bar? Would you like to take care of the uh, the waitresses? Would you like the dining room? Or would you like the office? Or would you like the back of the house? Well, it didn't take me long to make up my mind because all my life I like cooking. And all my life I cooked. So I said, I will take the back of the house. And that settled it. So I was in charge of the back of the house, and he was in charge of the front of the house. He did all the, the planning, and this building was, was his baby. He built this. He right. built this baby. Right. Yes. Who would you say is your greatest influence on your cooking? Or your love of cooking? My mother. Your mother? My mother. Uh, I looked her up. Is it pronounced Hedwig? Yes. Hedwig Hecht. In in English, it was Hattie. And and her sisters, they all called her Hattie. She was always Hattie. And to us, well, you know, children, you say mom. And she would always bring you into the kitchen. You were always cooking, helping out. I lived on a farm. And, of course... uh, I did. I told you I didn't like farming, and um, <laughs> mother would help my father on the farm. And uh, she, excuse me, she. I get kind of emotional. She was an wonderful person. So mother would help on the farm, and I. I had an older sister, and she would do the cooking, and I would help mom on the farm. We would hoe, and we would have to milk cows and feed chickens and all this. And then uh, when my sister got married, 
I got her job in the house. Oh, wow. So I thought that was kind of special. So I could do the cooking, and then Mom would still work on the farm sure. with my father. And then um, I would also help on the farm, but I could come in when we were hoeing or something. I could come in at 11 o'clock and make lunch. So that was kind of a, a perks for you. You got an hour off, and you could do the cooking. Sure. And my brother had to stay and help mom. So that, that was special. So I would do the cooking, and for lunch, we'd eat lunch, and we'd quit do the dishes, and out on the farm we would go again. And, you know, this was not in the winter, but it was in the summer when um, – you would do hoeing and planting and things like that. My brother was uh, 10 years younger than I was, so he wasn't much help at that time. So speaking of cooking, I've got my producer, Miranda Urbanzik, in the studio with us today. And actually, she has a question that she'd like to ask you. Okay, Miranda. Why did you decide to specialize in family-style chicken dinners? Well, the family-style chicken dinner already was in existence before the Zender family bought the Zender restaurant. The Fisher family was here before we were. So the chicken dinner was already well advanced. Of course, there were lumbermen. The lumbermen were here, and they would eat. They would, we would call it a border's dinner. And then, of course, uh, the word got out, and people from uh, the city would would come and enjoy a chicken dinner. And so that's how kind of then the three restaurants in a small town, that was a lot. It was a lot. But that's how it um, actually came in existence. And then we used, at that time, we would use heavy hens. Our our chickens were five and six pound hens. And you had to boil them and you boil everyone you had a test. It's not like now you put 90 in a vat and you have a hoist and it lowers it, and you don't have to handle each one. At that time, you had to handle each chicken to check if it was done or not. Sometimes they, they were older chickens, and they were not the best. But then uh, my husband, I have to give him credit for that. He started then with a... a a younger chicken. So our chickens now are between two and a half to three pounds. And and that was that was a big turnover when we uh, decided to go with uh, younger chickens. That again took a lot of courage because uh, we didn't know if the people were going to accept this. And it maybe took a couple of years till we... Uh, then you had to buy different equipment and then you had to buy... Everything, it was just something you had to really work with. And that, that was tiny. Uh, he did that. He worked everything out. And then the, the Zender family at that time also then changed over. This, see, his brothers were still over there um, uh, running the place across the street. So he had two brothers over there, and he was here. So it was... Um, it was a challenge for us. It was not easy. Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Cats bring all kinds of joy to your life. 
They make great companions while you read the newspaper or binge watch your favorite television show. If you're thinking about adopting one, then check out Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Based in Frankenmuth, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue is a 501c3 nonprofit no kill cat shelter. Over the last 16 years, they found loving homes for hundreds of homeless kitties. Each cat is fixed, vaccinated, and microchipped before going to their forever home. While waiting for you to adopt one, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue has a superb all volunteer staff that loves and cares for each and every cat. To learn how you can support or even better, adopt one of these cute kitties, visit their website at PetAngelAdoption.com. Once again, that's PetAngelAdoption.com. Their link is in the show notes below. And now back to the show. Kind of piggybacking on what you were talking before, the restaurant business is not easy. No, it, it, it's challenging. Uh, and when we when we first started here, there were two restaurants. No, there were three actually. It was Fisher's, Zender's, and Henry Fisher. Now there's close to thirty five, forty restaurants here in town. They're short order restaurants, but it's competition. It's right. competition. A lot of competition. Oh, I bet. I bet. Now, since your family made that decision to go with the Bavaria style. Your, I don't know what other words to describe it besides empire has grown. I mean, it has. You've, you've got the, the the leather shop and the cheese shop, and you've got the the lodge across the river. Did you did you ever think, like going back to you know nineteen fifty when you first bought the place, did you ever think that one day your family empire was going to be so big? Never, never. You know, when you're young, you know, we were in our thirties, and we were used <laughs> to hard work. You don't think into the future that that far. I will say, though, my husband always had a thinking into the future. He was a, an entrepreneur for the future. And he always, that, that was, uh, you have to do this for the town. He did many projects for the town that people never knew that he would. And then once I said, Tiny, you can't give all that money away. We haven't got it. We need it. Well, he says, you got to build up the town. So he was very instrumental that the town went Bavaria. And he did. Because I read uh, in in my research for this interview, I I read more than one article that talked about how, well, like when a new business would come into town, he would be one of the ones that would be championing making sure that they they decorated their building in the Bavarian style to carry through that, to really transform Frankenmuth into the the little Bavarian, Michigan's little Bavarian. Yes, he did. He did. And they used to call him Mr. Frankenmuth. <laughs> now, that I didn't come across in my research. Yes. But that's okay. So for Mr. Frankenmuth, and I have to ask this question because this was something that I, I was thinking back in my childhood about something that the Zenders did to impact me. And I remember the day when my mother came into my bedroom and said, we're going over to Frankenmuth. So we came over here and we drove across the wooden bridge for the first time. Uh, Really? Yes. Oh, wow. It opened in 1980. Yes. The bridge did. And I remember our first time going across. I was so scared because my, you know, I was thinking of. Uh, oh, you were scared. <laughs> yeah, I was because it was a wooden bridge. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, we're going to fall through, da, 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 da. But I remember we waited probably maybe 20 or 25 minutes to drive across the bridge. Really? Everybody was doing it. The question that I have for you is, is I know the genesis of this idea came years before. 
it actually opened. But you know, when Tiny walked up to you and said, you know, my brother and I are thinking about opening a wooden bridge and we want it handmade across the Cass River, what did you what did you think of that idea? He didn't ask me. Oh, okay. No. At that time it was the family. I was actually uh, they they ran both places, you know. They had okay. it was a family that ran the business. I just worked at the time. But he no, he didn't ask me. He was, uh, in fact, Eddie was the manager at Zenders, and Tiny did all the groundwork. And then, of course, being that we still were a company, uh, he got involved then too. But no, he didn't ask me. There were many uh, decisions he made. Uh, I came after, then I would find it out. But it didn't bother me. It really didn't bother me that I... I wasn't involved in all that because it was a family. Right. It was uh, after our children were. When did we uh, separate? In fifty, I don't even remember what year. When our children then came into the business, and um, then we uh, let's see how did that work again? We had to separate because we were going to build the lodge. Okay. And we couldn't get finances with something being that we were one corporation. So then the Zenders and the Bavarian Inn split. Eddie and his children then, see, then now the brothers were all getting older. They were not in the business anymore. It was now one brother here and one brother there. And then, uh, of course, our children were about 10 years older than what Eddie's children were. So we were now starting to build our future with the children. And Judy went to um, Michigan State, and she took in uh, as a class tourism. And then she wanted to build a hotel. And we had the banker here in town. Uh, said, you'll never make it. You cannot put a hotel in here. Uh, this town is too small. And he would not give us any money from the Frankenmuth Bank because he didn't think we would make it. Now, this was already the second generation that had no money. So you can tell we were struggling all our life to make things meet, to meet things. So then we built, she built a hotel. Uh, uh, she graduated from college. And then I don't think she was married. No, she wasn't. Uh, then she started gathering uh, things together to build this hotel and got architects and things and built, built the hotel. And it did well. And the banker at that time uh, was surprised. He was really surprised that uh, we did so well. So one thing I've learned is you never tell an entrepreneur no, because somehow they find a way. Yeah. And somehow Judy found a way to make the lodge happen. So then she she built the hotel. And then after that, we were we built many things. Uh, we had a, a, a nice a place in Bridgeport, uh, which is now the uh, Love's gas station. I don't know if you've driven there. We had uh, a gas station, and we sold chicken 
dinners there, and uh, that did not go very well. You're talking about Freeway Fritz. Freeway Fritz, yes. Yes. It, it was good, but it was not. We had a close-up. We had a close-up. And then it was, uh, it was idle for a number of years. And then uh, we, had, we sold firecrackers in there. <laughs> yeah. Whatever works, right? We sold firecrackers nice. when you think of it, you know. Sure. From chicken dinners to firecrackers. But uh, then we sold it to this, uh, this Luff's gas station, and they're doing wonderful. So that was not the best, um, uh, the best uh, business we had, but we struggled through it, and then finally we closed it up. And then we built the, mo- the river place. Right. And that, that was a struggle all those years to get that up and running. And so now it's uh, the uh, third generation that's running River Place. Speaking of which, you mentioned this before about bringing up your kids in the restaurant business and, and they're working in the Bavarian Inn yes. Empire. Your grandkids as well. What's it, what's it like knowing that, that your family basically bought into your vision and are working here. They're, they're making successful careers here. They're growing what you've done. What's, what's that like? Well, they worked here. They all worked here. And my husband always said, you have to pay these children as soon as they work for you. You've got to pay them. Because then they, they have that instinct to keep on going. Sure. And that we did. Uh, Bill was nine months old when we bought this place. And, of course, uh, I was a young mother. I had Judy was five years older and Bill, and she was in school. So when I didn't have a babysitter or like they do, we didn't have these uh, places you could take the children. I would bring them here. He would take a nap upstairs in the one-bedroom. And every so often, every hour, either I would check on him or Bill or Tiny would check on him. He took his nap up here. Then when he was done with his nap again, I'd bring him down in the kitchen. I'd put him on a cart and bring toys from home. And he would sit on that cart for hours, just play with toys. At one time, I gave him a teapot with water. For a whole hour, he kept going like this. And, of course, they tease him about it now. <laughs> he was a teapot kid. <laughs> but it, um, yeah, the, I brought the children with me. I had to bring them with me. And now your grandkids are working here as well. Yeah. Yes. At one time we had, uh, let's see, there were two, four, five. There were five grandchildren working here in the kitchen with me. And for some reason or other, when it was time for lunch, how they managed it, they would all have to have that lunch break together. <laughs> in my office. That's where they need lunch. And they had a good time and they loved it. It, it was uh, and now it's the grand the great grandchildren that are now coming to work. Recently, you celebrated working here 70 years. Most people I know a lot of people that, you know, when they turn 60 or 65, they are ready to retire. I'm out, I am done. But for you, it was kind of like you're just like, all right, and you kept right on going. What is it that, what is it that inspires you to, you know, to keep coming into work? What what drives you? Well, I I think 
it's the people. It's the people, you know. I miss people if, I, if I'm not around people. And I have many friends that would come to eat, and I really wanted to see them. I would work late hours if I knew John Doe was coming at 8 o'clock. I would stay till 8 o'clock till he was here. And that, I think, had some influence. And I like to cook. And for me to cook and stay an extra hour to cook this, this item, that was no problem. That was no problem. I liked it. Right. And you I would get satisfaction out of it. And uh, business was good. And you were happy that business was so good. You knew that it didn't come from nothing. You had to work hard, you know, to get it where it is now. Sure. So it was, um, it was a challenge, but it was a joyful challenge. I enjoyed it. And to this day, uh, I, I don't have to work. I could stay home. But I like to come over here. I like to see that the food is good. I like to see they continue to check things out and that things are good. So I kind of enjoy that, and I guess it's part of living. No doubt, and you're you're very fortunate in the fact that you get to do something that you love. Exactly. Yes. And that I can do what I like. I can come and go whenever I like. If I don't want to come one day, I don't have to come. But yet, um, uh, I enjoy it. Nice. And speaking of which, because I know you're still very active in the kitchen, and I have to ask this question. What is your secret to vitality? You're still very active. What is your What is your secret? You know, that's a hard question. What is my secret? I, I really... I don't want this business to go back. You know, I want this business to stay where it is, and I'm, I'm kind of fussy when they with food, that it looks good, and that we buy the best food. Uh, You could buy, uh, I'll just use this as an example. Gordon Foods have a a very good establishment. They're high priced. Their prices are higher than anybody, any other broker, but they got quality. I, I would then buy it from Gordon's because I know it's going to be good. Right. And if you got a good product to start with, uh, you can only make it better. The, the question that I got that I want to wrap up with is we, we, before we talked about your, your mother's influence on your cooking, what do you think she would say if, you knew, if she knew that you had literally cooked meals for millions of people over the last 50 years. What, what do you think she'd say? Mom would be very proud. She would be very proud. She would say, why do you work so hard? That's what she used to say. Because she would come over, and after my father died, she would come over and stay with me. Excuse me. You wouldn't think you'd have to cry after your mother was dead for 20 years. Your love for your mother never goes away. My mother worked very hard in her life. 
So for her to see me work hard, she always said, why do you work so hard? Because mother would work hard, but she would have her evenings free. She, I'm sorry. Let's take your time. I also had a sister that worked here. She was the most wonderful baker. So with having my sister here for all those years, she only worked about two days a week or three days a week. It, it was for me to, to have. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Now mom would say, why are you crying? Sounds like she'd be very proud. She would be. She would be. Wonderful. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this interview. Dorothy, I, I can't tell you what a treat, what a pleasure this has been. Just taking a little bit of your time because I know you're extremely busy. So thank you for, for speaking with us today. I really do appreciate it. It's no problem. Hey there, if you want to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox, then visit us at callofleadership.com and subscribe to our email newsletter. Today's episode was produced by Miranda Urbanzik, and I will catch you in the next episode.